the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to our Farm Advisory Service podcast. Today the focus is on coastal lamb, specifically the west coast of Scotland. And we are going to discuss what the future might hold for our West Coast lamb producers. We will discuss forthcoming trade disruption, environmental sustainability, and the potential opportunities that may arise from the current COVID pandemic. I should say this podcast has been recorded on November 13th, 2020, for those lucky listeners of the future that have made it to the other side of COVID-19. My name is Poppy Freita, Sheep and Grassland Specialist with SAC Consulting, and I am joined here today by a former colleague, now independent consultant, Kev Bevan. Kev was trained as an agricultural economist in Wales and New Zealand. He worked with us at SAC Consulting for 25 years, and he specialises in farm business management policy and market analysis. He's always insightful, not always optimistic. He tells it like it is. Welcome, Kev. Ah, thank you for that uh, kind introduction. So I'll let you talk further in a moment, but just to sort of set the scene for our listener, um, the West Coast, we know, is one of, or if not the most challenging areas to produce lamb. But it's not without its opportunities. And looking ahead to forthcoming events and developments that affect our markets generally will help understand how to make the most of factors out of our control. We call these market disruptors. They can be good, they can be devastating, but looking ahead is far more valuable than looking back. So Kev, um, could you describe what the main disruptors are on the horizon for Scottish lamb generally, and then think about how this might impact our West Coast lamb producers? Yeah, we are uh, obviously at the point now of uh, a significant uh, change 1st of January 2021, we will leave the trading arrangements that we've farmed under for at least the last 25 years, been part of the single market, and we move to a new trading basis. At this point, uh, we're not uh, precisely sure what that basis will be. Uh, Negotiations are expected to conclude within the next 10 days, although, of course, we've been saying that for quite a time. We do know that essentially there are two options on the table. The first is a no deal, essentially that we do not strike a deal. This would be catastrophic for the sheep industry of uh, Scotland and the UK. Quite simply, we would lose our biggest uh, export market. And remember that a third of uh, British lamb is actually uh, exported. So the export market uh, provides a tremendous balance in uh, balance in the market, uh, especially during the late summer autumn months when most lambs are finished. We are hopeful, aren't we? As- essentially, uh, the main concern is, as I said, that the loss of the export market would result from uh, a large tariff and large tax been placed on the export of lamb. Now, that is a no deal. The optimistic indications are that 
because of the silence we've been not hearing or hearing in the last uh, uh, couple of weeks is that uh, efforts are being poured into having a deal. Now, this deal um, will be very much on the spectrum of a hard Brexit rather than a soft Brexit. So um, what that means is that the, the center point of the uh, potential deal is that there would be zero tariffs. Now, these are absolutely critical. Essentially, at the moment, a lamb that uh, this season with very good prices, a kind of 19 kilo lamb is currently selling for 82, 83 pounds uh, gross. For that lamb to be landed with a 45% or thereabouts tariff on it, um, that lamb would need to be £55 at the farm gate here for it to land in France or Germany at the same price to the buyer. £55 here would not be quite a worrying thought. Yes, and remember that is against the backdrop of a very good price this year. Prices being £12-14 upon what they were last year. So essentially, um, it is a you know, very difficult situation um, if we lose access. But as I say, the deal that's on the table and has been negotiated would include zero tariffs. But even if we get that deal, there are th things called uh, non-tariff barriers that would still be um, happening regardless of whether we had a deal or not. In the, in the short term, essentially, when we when we talk about non-tariff barriers, we mean paperwork. Um, we mean export certification. All of the things that we haven't had to do in the last 25 years, we will need paperwork to export because effectively we are outside of the EU post-December. Uh, now, yes, this paperwork will add cost and the broad estimates are somewhere between 5 and 8% to, to the cost of doing trade. Um, unfortunately, most of that cost would probably find its way back to the farm. And uh, so essentially, um, if you were roughly wanting to do a calculation, uh, you might knock 5 8% off current prices to arrive at the sort of prices if we have a deal. So... That's how trade uh, will, will look to change. And as I said, probably by the end of next week, we will have a clear indication of whether a deal will be struck. Now, that's how trade will change, but that's not the only way uh, it'll potentially change. The um, Once we leave the EU, um, effectively, we will not be part of the common agricultural policy. That means that the farm policy in going into the future will be designed and developed in the UK and specifically within Scotland. The immediate outlook is for very little change. 2021 is essentially will continue with the current systems that uh, we've been used to in terms of the BPS and we've recently announced that LFAS will be paid at the full rate that it was back in 2018. Looking forward, uh, the main concern is effectively the overall budget for rural support going into mid-decade. This is uh, very unclear at this point how much money will be available. 
I would add a little note uh, at this point. Uh, the issues that we are likely to face will also be faced um, if we had stayed within the EU. Um, the current common agricultural policy um, for the next seven-year period uh, is also struggling with trying to do more with less. I think looking into the future, what everybody is uh, concluding is that there will be more funding for public goods. Public money for public goods is a bit of a cliche, but effectively that is um, essentially the direction of travel. Just to, Could you just describe what you mean by public goods to the listener? Well, public goods, and I, I, I will come on to this now, uh, in broad terms, um, if we can, we can say uh, the environment, and I'll just come and expand on that uh, a little now. Now, a key measure um, for the west coast of Scotland is LFAS. Now, Scotland has been quite peculiar in that LFAS has lasted far longer than in the rest of the UK. England got rid of their equivalent uh, a decade ago and Wales five or six years ago. And what they did was they morphed their LFAS payment into their agri-environmental schemes. So that picks up on public goods. And that brings me on really to the next major factor that's affecting the market. market. And that is the increased significance of the environment. Quite clearly, we're living, uh, we're very much aware now of the importance of measures taken to reduce climate change. And many farmers are already doing carbon footprints to measure the impact on of their businesses on the environment. Because remember that uh, agriculture has significant opportunities, unlike most industries, to ask, actually sequester carbon as well. And that does create quite a lot of significance on the West Coast, where particularly, you know, we're looking at things like um, how we can sequester through the likes of peat bogs and uh, soils. And so we're likely to see much greater emphasis on that. So coming back to the issue of public goods, we can see then that there's likely to be schemes to actually actively um, encourage farmers and crofters to um, part in, to deliver on climate change through better carbon management. Uh, not only that, but biodiversity as well. We we have to remember the environment covers. It's not just about carbon. It's uh, biodiversity um, is also uh, increasingly important, and so uh, schemes aimed at improving biodiversity will be important and there's a a major trial uh on the west in the west of scotland looking at that at this precise time other environmental uh, targets of course will be uh, improving uh, water and um, and air quality and again very importantly for the west coast is landscape management so how uh, sheep and cattle can play an active role in delivering the kind of landscape that people want to come and visit because obviously the knock-on effects for the important tourist industry uh, too. Interesting to say at this point, it won't necessarily be all about public money, taxpayer money for paying for these schemes. We're likely to see the development of the private sector funding as well. So kind of in terms of other businesses that can't sequester carbon paying 
farmers and crofters uh, for doing that on their behalf. So we're likely to see that market develop. Well, thank you. I mean, that's a lot there. There's a lot to unpick there. We've got the uncertainty in trade and then the policy developments. But it's quite nice, you know, when you think of the West Coast of Scotland and the beauty and the, the role that farmers play in delivering these public goods, it can make us feel a bit more perhaps op- optimistic in terms of environment schemes that do value these farmers and the role that they play. Well, well yes. And I think the, the next point would perhaps add a little optimism on that. Now, if we're looking at the potential long-term impacts of uh, COVID-19, and uh, let's face it, there's very little to be optimistic about if we use the term COVID-19. But what we have seen as how the world is adapted uh, to COVID-19 in the short term and how some of these adaptions will have significant impact into the future. Ones that we have learned through the technology um, is that um, a lot more people can work from home than previously uh, thought possible. Now, that does create the potential for people to live in parts of the world that are more attractive, less humdrum, and the west coast of Scotland, with its obvious natural attractions, uh, could potentially benefit from the tyranny of distance being broken. So potentially that has a uh, you know significant bonus for parts of the of the of the world like the west coast of Scotland. Uh, to be fair, um, perhaps like a more well a certain class of consumer that are more aware of their supply chains and perhaps willing to pay that bit more for local for good provenance, um, you know, for that nice you know, the environment and the, the lamb that's produced there. Yeah, I would agree exactly. Uh, and because the other thing which has come out from COVID is a concern for how our food is produced. Mm. And um, although we don't have wet markets, uh, as in China, where the uh, initial link was uh, supposedly uh, occurred, um, there is likely to be much more interest in how our food is produced and the naturalness of our meats. And again, that plays to um, lamb and sheep meat production. I think other things which will kick in as well is probably a more rigorous look at uh, kind of national diet and the concern with obesity. So again, that could have a positive uh, factor for more natural-based diets Mm. going forward. Uh, What we've also seen, of course, is that uh, lamb has actually done quite well uh, in the last six months because people have been forced back into cooking with the food Mm -hmm. service sector um, largely closed down. People cooking from scratch has driven um, purchasing um, in the domestic market. But those people who are sick and tired of cooking for themselves, what we're also seeing is a kind of premium delivered meals, big growth. Uh, likely in that as well. So again, you know, uh, could have an impact on the premium meats like uh, lamb. Another factor, though, probably a little more negative is that going perhaps a little further into the long term is the growth in artificial meats. I say long term, um, plant-based meats have effectively now become mainstream. There's been considerable growth in plant-based burgers, for instance, uh, in the last uh, 12 months. So they essentially have now gone mainstream. 
but in future, if we're going out um, towards the end of the decade, um, lab-grown meats are likely to become increasingly important. And it's not just about the meat. It's about the impact on co-products as well. What's the most important co-product from a sheep? Wool. And as we now, as we obviously know at the moment, wool, uh, the value of wool has dropped, you know, to uh, uh, uneconomic levels, uh, which is a, a real concern. Those are the kind of four, if I could put it, the main kind of big shapers of the um, trading environment that uh, we're seeing. It's interesting because I see lamb as a, a premium, as a yeah, premium product. I don't see it as your regular sort of commodity, you know. Um, and I find it difficult to think of you know plant-based meat as being competitive to lamb. Like I can't imagine being as satisfied um, from a plant-based burger compared to a good, you know, lamb shank or lamb chops. Do you think that that's really a? Do you think there's still um, lamb still niche enough and and still tailored towards your sort of higher end consumer that this plant-based developments are still going to be a huge threat to lamb? Well, I, I think the reality is. Um... Uh, retail sales show that um, there's a lot of people that find plant-based meat products, mm-hmm. you know, acceptable, nice. Now, remember, these are people that may also eat lamb. It's not a black and white issue. You know, yeah. people can still have uh, lamb for special occasions. Yet once a week, twice a week, they might use a plant-based product too. So it's it's quite nuanced on how things are developing. And I think that's the critical point we come to now. Looking forward against uh, a backdrop where things are likely to get tougher in the marketplace, farmers, sheep farmers in this case, have to be very focused on what the consumer wants. Like it or not, we've essentially come through decades where we produce a product then sell it and we've been told for many years we have to turn it around and say what does the consumer want and essentially we now move into that very uh, competitive world where we have to be very market focused now what do we mean uh, by that well there's some obvious things for a start people will not pick up lamb chops if they're covered in fat It's the visibility of the product. We know people buy within seconds when they go through a supermarket. Unfortunately, too many of our lambs are still too fat when they are sold. Too many lambs are still a missing specification. So that's an obvious area where we have to improve on. Now, one of the real positives of studies done with lamb is its eating quality is consistently good to excellent. We see much more variation in uh, beef between what what a good eating experience and a a poor one. Um, But lamb is is consistently uh, good. Hmm. That's surprising given that lamb, uh, compared to beef, there's sort of multiple products from lamb. Um, You can have your new season versus your hogget versus... Well, I know it's not lamb, but mutton. So um, consistently good. Yeah, it's a good message, um, but it's almost, yeah, it's a bit of a surprise. Yeah, and and, uh, recent uh, research that we've been involved in um, as uh, we're taste testing has uh, been part of the trial work. 
has shown that uh, eating quality um, improves uh, with the age of the lamb. That is, mm-hmm. that hogget lamb generally scores better for taste than mm-hmm. uh, young lamb. And so, again, this has potentially uh, great significance for the type of lamb produced on the, on, on the West Coast. Important as well, when we're looking at eating quality, yeah, that's one of the things that ticks the boxes, about health conscious as well. That mm-hmm. is going to be an increasingly important thing. And as we know, uh, meat has significant uh, benefits in terms of the kind of vital nutrients uh, that, uh, that we need for a healthy existence. Very importantly is uh, use of or low or no antibiotics. Again, lamb should have a uh, very positive uh, story to tell on this. But again, we are advising farmers to do everything they can to reduce uh, the levels of antibiotics in, in, their, in their farming. Now, yeah. a major area where the modern consumer is looking to is not just how the meat eats, but how it's produced. Um, the fancy term is the provenance of it. And essentially what this says is, how have the animals uh, been treated? Have they had a good life? Because a lot of people will expect that, you know, had a good life on the farm, been well cared for, transport into the processor, and uh, how they have, uh, how, how have they uh, been uh, dispatched, mm-hmm. slaughtered. The naturalness is obviously a key uh, plus point for Uh, lamb production. So that leads on to the importance of being environmentally friendly as well, how the the sheep flock exists with nature. And that's an important selling point. Can't be overemphasized that. Because at the end of the day, lamb is not cheap. It's a premium meat product and is priced accordingly. So effectively, we are going after the more discernible uh, middle class, if I can put it that way, uh, consumer. There's a fancy term for it called the conscious foodies. Mm-hmm. And uh, so essentially, these are the people who have got the money. They appreciate the qualities that lamb and how it's produced is important. Now, there's one other critically important market as well, and that is the halal market. That is underpinned. It's an absolute cornerstone of our our demand uh, from the uh, predominantly uh, Muslim population. And again, you know, how that animal has lived its life and is treated is uh, critical to uh, halal. And uh, so that is a, a is a very important market as well, which shares many of the same requirements. So that's how the marketplace is changing. We've outlined the kind of broad um, drivers um, affecting the outlook into into the coming de- decade. So essentially, how do we uh, work within that to uh, survive and prosper? Now, uh, essentially, uh, I've, I've got it narrowed down to kind of three options. Well, obviously, we can carry on doing basically what we we have done. And generally, that is the status quo, if we can put it that way, is where most of our lambs are actually sold uh, store and find their ways then to uh, lower ground east of Scotland and uh, and to England uh, for finishing. 
Obviously, this route to market is well understood. It's proven. There's a good market mart system through the west of Scotland still, which is, you know, uh, it, it's not e- it's not easy. But having that network is obviously critical. Now, that system, yes, it works fine. And if environmental public good schemes um, in future increase in importance, that system might well still be sufficient to survive and prosper in sheep farming. However, the big concern is that it is very exposed to the vagaries of the store market and uh, and how you know support might change. So adding value, adding margin is almost certainly the way we have to look to um, uh, to work you know going forward. I say added margin. It's not simply a matter of adding value because simply you know, finishing uh, lambs, uh, it's expensive. That's why uh, an awful lot of lambs are sold store now because it's not possible in much of the West Coast mm-hmm. to grow forage crops and utilize them and, and finish. And obviously buying concentrates to finish animals is expensive with added uh, haulage costs um uh, onto it mm-hmm. now having said that then what are the options then for adding margin well the first one and there's been some work um, you know recently on this um is working together to add margin now by that we're saying essentially retaining ownership of the lamb through to uh finishing Going back to what we were saying about um, a benefit of uh, the type of lamb produced on the West Coast is that it's generally still a small lamb come the uh, come the autumn. Now, we know that to get into the retail sector, it needs to be between 16 and 21 kilos uh, carcass weight. The beauty of the uh, of smaller lambs that come from the West Coast is we can grow them slowly into that weight band in January, February, April uh, period. What we do find is a lot of the lambs produced on, dare I say, kinder sheep farms um, or crossbred type lambs tend to be way too big uh, once they get past December. So the real issue is where can we finish those lambs yet retain ownership uh, of them? And this is where really kind of innovative tie-ups with um, finishers um, in the east of uh, Scotland uh, shows potential. Now, remember, we might say that, oh, hang on, you know, lowland Scottish crop farmers, absolutely no interest in uh, running finishing sheep. Well, they might get increased interest because soil health is likely to be um, an important uh, target that they will be placed on these farms um, in the in the coming years and one of the key ways of improving soil health is to get livestock back into the system so the growing of forage crops and effectively putting that forage crop through an animal is is seen as one very positive way of improving uh, soil health now, the issue is that um, any kind of finishing like this has to be done at scale. And this is where the importance of kind of collaboration at the, the local level in uh, the, the, the west of Scotland um, is important. 
um, so that you've got the numbers uh, to go down uh, to these farms. Now, there's been some um, uh, innovative work I've done quite recently in some a project that Poppy and myself have been involved in, where Shetland producers have actually collaborated and effectively contract finished uh, lambs in uh, the borders of Scotland. It's worked uh, very well. It's certainly not without its uh, issues. And the experience of doing it has meant that those issues have been looked at so that they can be uh, addressed, you know, going forward. But the the, the real benefit of these is that effectively the uh, producer, the original producer, ends up benefiting from the, the, the finished price that those lambs can achieve. Obviously, there's a cost of doing this. And, um, and the clever bit is having the scale to be able to make sure this cost doesn't eat up all that uh, added value. And of course, there are some risks associated with this being lamb price come the end of the year. Could you talk around that with regards to the West Coast lamb producer? Well, yes. Undoubtedly, a fixed price would be lovely. Contracted prices. At this point in time, there seems little, I wouldn't say interest. It's just incredibly difficult to ask a processor and a retailer to take on that, to offer guarantees, given how volatile prices are in late season. So that becomes issue. Now, the absolute ideal would be is if your product from your area of the West Coast actually had a an attribute that consumers would seek out and say, I want lambs from that part because I, I like the story behind how they've been bred, raised and finished. You know, I like that. Put that label on it and I will come back and pay a premium for it. There's a fancy term called credence attributes, which ties up with all this, how the provenance, how the animal is produced. Now, that is really what this sort of collaborative venture um, should be aiming to achieve, you know, to distinguish yourself in the marketplace. The issue for a retailer will say is, right, okay, I like I like that. And the product is great. You know, we've taste tested it. It's great. You know, it's not too fatty. It's, it's brilliant. Okay, we like it. Right. I need 2,000 legs a week yeah. between February and April. That's where scale comes into it and collaboration. But the real attraction is if you can get that, then, you know, retailers may well be interested in taking it forward. So, um, but that is definitely um, an option working collaboratively. Now, the final option is why not do that on a kind of individual basis or or within a, a few farmers together, a real niche approach. Uh, to that to add margin now remember we were saying that local trade uh, people who live in the west coast full time but also obviously the with numbers surge through the um, the tourist season is whether we can put premium mark uh, product into the kind of into the local market in particular through um, the restaurant through through restaurants now Go in niche. It's definitely uh, possible to do it, 
but it is not for the faint-hearted. Market research is absolutely critical. That's what you have got to um, really look at. When, when does that demand come? An issue, obviously, for lamb is that many of our lambs from the West Coast are not really ready until you know, late summer, autumn. Now, how does that tie up with the, uh, you know, the tour tourist season? You might well be then looking at a kind of two-year uh, a, a product uh, and a kind of hog it, you know, a 12-, 18-month-old uh, product mm -hmm. in that uh, in re respect. Um, and that comes back to actual product quality and consistency. People who have successfully developed niche uh, businesses will tell you, do you eat your own product? That's the easiest way of saying, right, you know, is it consistently very good to excellent? Because that's mm -hmm. what it needs to be. Another issue that always comes in is carcass balance. Okay, the local restaurant trade might say, yeah, I'll take all the legs you can send me. I don't want the shoulders. So, um, well, you might get a premium for parts yeah. of the carcass. Yeah. What have you got to do with the balance of the carcass? And that can often make it a showstopper in terms of developing niche. Beef, you've got the flexibility of um, being able to make a multitude of products from a carcass from the bits that are not sellable. Tends to be a little bit more difficult uh, mm. with, with sheep. Pricing becomes very important. And pricing is obviously uh, has to be at a premium. And uh, again, people who have done it said you, you can't be afraid to put a premium price on this product in fact you'll have to because you will not be talking of doing this with with big numbers hmm. um, very importantly of course is the logistics of actually doing uh, you know niche meat production and obviously critical to this is where will you get uh, the uh, sheep uh, slaughtered um, now there is a good network of um, local abattoirs uh, up the west coast so that should be doable uh, to uh, for slaughtering and, and butchering. But remember, that is quite a significant cost, you know, in the, in the context of uh, this type of uh, operation. And then very importantly, then, is obviously promotion um, in, in, in terms of developing that marketplace. Word of mouth is obviously the, um, the critical one. If you produce a premium product and you've got people saying, well, that came from a certain farm, I want some of that, then uh, that's the greatest promotion of all. But it's a lot of work. And I think, again, most people will tell you that uh, developed successful niche businesses do not even attempt it unless you like um, a lot of work and you particularly are interested in dealing with folk because you have got to have that very you know, kind of bubbly, um, uh, positive people-to-people -people kind of out, uh, outlook. Right. Okay, so. so not Yeah, great. But so not for the faint-hearted, but it is an opportunity for some. And, and it's something we're probably quite bad at, oh, I speak for myself, in terms of shouting and screaming about a, a good product. But remember that that's what it is. You, you know, West Coast lamb production is something we should be you know, proud of um, and when you're thinking of the promotion and the sales of it as of it for this opportunity. So so it's there, but a lot of work to go into it. I appreciate it, that. It, it is. And I suppose one of the, the key things here is 
in terms of finishing these animals is you know what products the animals can eat to mm-hmm. you know help develop taste as well and uh, i'm not too aware if there's any work going on uh, with that but uh, we've certainly seen from overseas where i think the new zealanders have a, a coastal uh, group right. of farmers and uh, so they're attributing eating quality to lambs produced in those mm, in those yeah. locations uh, in in south wales on the gower peninsula uh, there's a very well known salt marsh finished lamb which is a really good uh, niche uh, sale um, again you know the benefits of lambs being finished on that coastal vegetation um, feeds through to the eating quality of the lamb and that uh, as a result attracts you know a, a premium so is that possible in your part of the west coast that's the kind of key things to ask there could be exciting but uh, yeah for someone perhaps quite energetic and with the confidence behind their product but that's what that's what people should be thank you very much for that Kev there's a lot to consider there but there's also a lot of opportunity you know looking ahead none of us know all the answers as to what's going to happen if we did we'd be rich Um, and the outlook may not always be rosy we've got some certainly some challenges on the horizon but you have the opportunity now to to really consider what's going on and to try and as much as possible to be ahead of the game when some of these inevitable disruptions do occur. I think I often remind myself of this life is meant to be enjoyable. So do take control of what you can to make the most of this roller coaster ahead. I think that would be my sort of main takeaway from this. I know that we maybe started off perhaps a little bit pessimistic, but there are potential opportunities that you guys as West Coast lamb producers um, have unique to yourselves and I hope if nothing else that you're aware of the the product that you're producing is good provenance as Kev puts it um, and has good opportunity in that regard. Do you have a final sort of take-home message to provide Kev? No, and probably I think you've uh, summed it up you know very nicely (laughs) there it's uh, I don't think we're pulling the wool over people's eyes to say Sheep farming is not going to get any easier in future. So effectively, one's got to be very clear about the marketplace and producing for that uh, uh, that market. And to end on that sort of positive note, um, thank you very much, Kev. That's informative as always. And to the listener, just remember that your farm advisory service and us at SAC, we are here to support you. There is a farm advisory service helpline and there's a whole load of resources available on the, the website, faz.scot, for more information. And we just wish you well in your endeavours into the future. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you.